Hello and welcome to the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Bergun. Today on the show I have Tanya X. Short, who is the co-founder of Kit Fox Games, the designer of games like Moon Hunters, and uh, most recently, Boyfriend Dungeon, which should be coming out, uh, I think, this year. And uh, she's also a writer and someone that I've been talking with online a little bit about uh, RPGs. And uh, I think her games are really interesting and different. And uh, she's been someone I've been wanting to have on the show for a while. So I'm really glad that uh, we got around to it. And I think the conversation went really well. Uh, really quickly, before I get into the actual conversation, just want to give you a quick update. I'm working like crazy every day, all day on Gem Wizards. Uh, at this point, it's actually in a pretty good space. I'm, you know, giving it out to reviewers and streamers to play. Uh, and I'm basically just doing bug fixing, polishing, uh, playtesting, you know, balancing, things like that. And also a lot of marketing. I've never done this much marketing for any game uh, I've ever made by not even like 10% of this much marketing. So hopefully that'll make a difference. Um, so we'll see how it goes, but I'm very excited for it. I feel really good about Gem Wizards and, um, I think it's something really different and people are seeming to notice. I had a couple of streamers who played the game and were just like howling in joy when they found out that you could like knock people off the map or you could like bounce units into each other or have the potato roll across the map or there's so many things like that that are just systemically surprising and um, I think people are appreciating it. So I'm really excited about that. Without any further ado, um, I bring you my conversation with Tanya X Short. All right, Tanya X Short, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. So uh, I have a bunch of stuff that I want to talk about today. Um, we've been talking a little bit online about um, like RPGs and things like that. So I'd love to like get into some of that game designy stuff about RPGs, which um, you know I have very strong feelings about, and uh, and we've had a little bit of interactions over that. So we definitely got to get into that. But before we get into that, I want to get some basic background on you, um, how you got into games and game design in the first place. Like what brought you to the position of wanting to be a game developer? Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I started as a game enthusiast, I think as most game designers do, um, playing games a lot. And in college, I, I got an English literature um, degree. And I, at some point, realized maybe due to a magazine article or something that people wrote video games. And so that was my initial um calling i guess is that i i felt driven to be like a lore master for elder scrolls um mm. i think is the position that i, I was amazed to find existed <laughs> and um and then the more i got into it and the more that i i started practicing you know making mods and i went to graduate school for level design and and at first i thought it was all sort of uh steps towards being a, a game writer but the more that i did design the more enchanted with the, the more power that I that I had. And maybe back if if narrative designer had been a title that I that had sort of existed or been popularized at that point, you know, back in 2006, I would have uh, been more compelled by it. But, you know, I had already been doing volunteer work for, I guess this, this story, I should tell it more linearly, but <laughs> in college, I was also volunteering for several hours a week as a uh, part community manager, part content designer for um, text-based online games, MUDs, oh, and nice. hosting events and, and you know, doing customer service and that kind of thing. Um, so I had a little bit of um, 
design exposure that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until I, I went to graduate school and really studied level design that I realized the power of game design and how much, how many more tools you have to tell a compelling story and build a compelling world um, when you can also influence the quote unquote mechanical side of it, whatever exactly that means. Sure. Yeah. That's really cool. That's really interesting to hear that you worked on MUDs or like we're at least involved yeah. in the development <laughs> because I feel like MUDs are, um, um, they're kind of like by a lot of, you know, gamers and game players, um, they're, they're sort of, there's just so much there that was never tried in any other part of interactive systems, I feel like, you know, like, yeah. uh, and so it's, they're, they were really ambitious and, uh, there's a lot to learn from them. Um, so yeah, we'll get we'll, we'll definitely want to bring that back up when we talk about RPGs. So, oh, I think it's very relevant, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. <clears throat> so uh, you started your own company. Did you do that like right after you got out of grad school or like um, your company no. is Kit, Kit Fox Games or when did you start your company? No, so from, uh, so I was, I was volunteering um, up until around 2006 or so on MUDs and then I went and did grad school for a couple of years and my first job for five years was actually at um, Funcom, which is, uh, used to be known for Age of Conan and the Secret World. Um, mm-hmm. Now I think their famous one is, is Conan, oh, what is it called? Conan Survivors, something like that. Okay. Conan. Oh my goodness. What is it called? Conan Exiles. That's what it's called. Oh yeah. I've seen that Um, around. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So I was an MMO designer. Uh, I was following my love of muds uh, onto the the online scene and uh, I was creating their, their guilds uh, level up system before anything like that existed in other MMO in big MMOs Um, and doing some quote unquote plot writing for uh, secret world. and, And it was good fun. Um, but yeah, then for various reasons, uh, you know, that there wasn't anything that interesting for me going on with Funcom. So I went off and started uh, Kit Fox in 2013. So we're, we're approaching our eighth year now. Wow. That's exciting. Yeah. That's super awesome. Yeah, it's been longer than it seems possible. <laughs> I have to ask because I feel like we're a very similar age. Did you mm. play Ultima Online? <laughs> I always wanted to. I wanted to. I wanted that and uh, EverQuest. I was very excited by both of them, but unfortunate. Part of the reason why I ended up in MUDs uh, was because my computer wasn't good enough. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I had my own dedicated internet line. Uh, my mother was was very pleased to have me off of the phone line, but unfortunately, no, I, I didn't manage Ultima Online. But I think of all the online games with graphics that I would have been really compelled by as a teen. I think Ultima Online would have been uh, second to the MUDs for sure. I, yeah. I feel like there's a there's a stub of an evolutionary tree there, like a tech tree that got mm-hmm. cut off prematurely uh, with the explosion of World of Warcraft. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, uh, well, I think EverQuest was also like the prerequisite yes. to that yes. style of thing. But yeah, like I played, I was crazy about Ultima Online, but if I, I didn't even mm. know about MUDs when, this was when I was still in high school, and uh, <laughs> I, I didn't even know that MUDs existed. If I had, I probably would have played them instead, uh, because there were so many really just amazing ones, even going back to like the early 90s, I feel like. Yeah, um, yeah, really interesting systems being explored um, that, you know, and to be fair, some of them wouldn't really work outside of text. Um, like there is a crafting system in my favorite mud where you literally make up objects um, and uh, other other players review them and things like that. But like you can't 
you could do that in a 3D game, but you'd have to be very specific about your style. And you wouldn't be able to, you know, detail the the edging of the dress and the embroidery of the whatever, which is mm-hmm. something that, that they definitely was, was a huge part of the appeal of the system in MUDs. But, you know, text is so flexible. It's wonderful. Yeah, no, that's a really, well, it's very, text is very interesting because it is both really flexible and also really inflexible in the sense that, you know, once it's created, it needs another human being to come and modify it in a meaningful way. Whereas, you know, like game objects, like, I don't know, like a ball or something that's bouncing around in the world can be created once and then it can be, you know, modified, manipulated, played with and all sorts of, it has rules that it can work by. Whereas it's very hard to meaningfully systemically change words. You know what I mean? Like uh, human beings have to come in and do that. Um, It's true. They yeah. end up being sort of standalone artifacts uh, that needs a human to deco- decompile. <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, that makes me want to get into our RPG discussion. Um, we're gonna, Why not? I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, let's, let's talk a little bit about text. And I guess let's start with, like, what, what do you want in an RPG? What do you look for in an RPG? What do you, what do you, like, I, there's a lot of different ways we could enter this conversation. But, like, mm. wh- what do you think of as um what what are our, what are rpgs and what are they trying to get at and like what what are we trying to do with rpgs and what would you like to see in more rpgs oh my goodness this that, that was about 16 questions yes um, yes it was <laughs> so i'll just say that uh i mean i feel like rpg might be almost a meaningless term at this point because it encapsulates so many different types of experiences at this point mm-hmm. um it's sort of, you know, grown and grown and grown and, and people have explored different aspects of it. It's sort of like roguelike at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but all that being said, I think under that giant umbrella, I think what I love about RPGs is that I can experience a world and I can, I can imagine how it is to live in that world. And... Maybe that means that, you know, in a few years, if, if life sims become a little bit more extended and, and there's, uh, you know, more simulations going on, then, then I'll, maybe I'll leave RPGs behind. But um, the fact that I can, I can experience a, a compelling character ex- uh, life uh, within a fantasy world is, is fundamentally what I enjoy about role-playing games. And I think that that exploration is doing a lot of work in that sentence, the word exploration, um, mm-hmm. because I, as we talked about briefly before, um, there's the physical exploration of, of you know, geometry of, of the world, of different locations and, and meeting different people. But there's also the exploration more abstractly of how does this world actually function and how do these. And, and so from a designer perspective, how do these systems fit together? How does this action in uh, a particular action in this world uh, correlate with a particular consequence um, or not um, that creates a different need for a different action um, and a cascading effect of discovering um, how the world reacts to me? And uh, Jason Grinblatt has coined that as uh, systems suspense. And I think that that's one of the most compelling things about a game. Uh, The only Difficulty being that, uh, you know, these days, if I don't have as much free time, um, if I'm too bewildered and I have too much system suspense and I, I don't know anything at all about how a world is reacting to me, it might be difficult for me to get uh, too far into it because uh, 
it's it's not as rewarding immediately as I can imagine. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's my initial answer is that whenever I pick up an RPG, if, if there's something intriguing about, I'm not sure how something is going to react to me, then I, I'm compelled forward to, to keep playing a bit. Sure, yeah. No, that, I think that's fair. Um, I, I do think like, there's something at the heart of like the idea of RPGs that is similar to something that's like maybe at the heart of the very idea of video games, which like from the beginning, like when we could like have things move around on the screen when we, you know, when we press buttons to make the things move around, you know, like space war or whatever, um, there's this sort of promise of fantasy simulation uh, of some kind. And mm -hmm. Um, you know, that could go all the way up to like the matrix or something, or, or even just, uh, you know, like, like space war is a fantasy simulation itself. Um, I, and I, I think a lot about like, you know, what, what is it that, that makes, what are like the values of, of RPGs? I totally agree that like RPGs as a term, it's very hard to define if we're trying to like categorize games. But I also think that there's a way that you can like talk about sort of like an RPG-ism or like an RPG-ness, yes. you know? Yes, and I, and I think that one of the things that you've hit on um, recently and, and why we started thinking about talking about this on the podcast at all um, is that sort of the distillation of one of the promises of, of RPGs um, has become uh, progression. And mm -hmm. progression has been sort of this, in, you know, um, uh, dopamine hit of numbers going up and... You know, the ultimate um, expression of that is, you know, like cookie clicker or something where you just you you do anything and, and numbers go up and it feels great. Um, and I think that uh, RPGs, you know, if you if you sort of add in just a little bit more interaction, but fundamentally, if you keep playing, you'll see the numbers go up. You end up with, you know, Destiny or or like you coined it, a, a, a feedback RPG or a grazing RPG where it's, it's really just you will progress if you play the game. Uh, don't worry about any aspect of simulation or strategy or thinking or anything like that. Just sort of like chill, zone out, and like numbers will go up. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and I do think that it, it's funny that role-playing game um, has come to mean progression mm. for probably most game players at this point. I think that's probably the dominant interpretation of the the genre at this point uh, for, for sure. better or worse yeah well and, and what i'm interested in is how that like progression kind of model i mean i think to me i would say even further more advanced and then than cookie clicker is like the gotchas like the mobile gotcha type games and mm -hmm. to me those are just like such a distillation of you know like it has like this because I think part of it, too, is the veneer. Like, you need the veneer of, like, oh, no, you're on an adventure, and there's a story and stuff like that. But it's very, very thin a lot of the times. And it's really just the 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 collection mechanisms and the leveling up. Like, everything levels up, and it's just... Um, and so what I, what I think happens there is that, like, that sort of fantasy simulation doesn't doesn't really have room to exist, you know, in the player's mm. brain while they're, while they're doing all that stuff. And the system doesn't have room for the kinds of like, uh, Raf Koster calls it, calls it stagecraft, you know, like little things mm. like there's a, there's a, there's a, um, uh, uh, you know, like a little chair and you can sit on it and it doesn't do anything, but mm -hmm, you can sit on mm -hmm. it. And that sort of, that just like tells the player like, Oh, 
the world is interactable and it's a world. It's not just like a screen, like a spreadsheet, you know? And a lot of times mm-hmm. with these gotcha kind of things uh, or similar games like that, a lot of games, uh, more and more, I think, it does feel more like, you know, like checking a bunch of boxes, doing a bunch of tasks. And I agree with you. I love the term grazing RPG. I love the idea of embracing that and in a positive way and finding a way to make like, you know, um, I mean, I, I, I tend to think that like Animal Crossing and certain games like that mm. are, are probably pretty good examples of that. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I think Animal Crossing is a tricky one. I, I don't know how I really feel about it in terms of my feelings, <laughs> uh, my feelings on like, uh, you know, sort of exploitative mechanics. Like, I feel like it it's so nice and sweet and like the art is so cute and lovable that like I feel bad saying anything bad about it. But I also wonder if it does meet that grazing RPG sort of like Zen sandbox feel or if it is just, uh, you know, not that different from a mobile gacha game with just different aesthetics. Oh, I, I personally, as someone who's, I mean, I'm, I'm not unbiased because I've played a bunch of Animal Crossing, but mm-hmm. I don't see it as similar to a gacha game at all. Okay. Um, it, it is a collection game. So you do, you know, log in and, and do some chores or whatever. Um, but for what it's worth, I think that the most of the appeal is existing in the world, not checking not seeing what randomly happens. Mm-hmm. I don't think the seeing what randomly happens ends up being the main driver of the game. But, you know, maybe it's a matter of spectrum. Maybe the fact that, you know, what randomly happens every day is wildly outside your control means it's only a few degrees from a gotcha. But maybe those degrees are really important. I haven't actually, I haven't thought about it too much. But That's a good point though, that Animal Crossing, like a lot of what you do in Animal Crossing is either sort of you being creative by, you know, like placing things in certain configurations, like a garden, gardening kind mm-hmm, of thing, mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, uh, like collecting X number of whatevers, which neither of which has like that sort of jackpot uh drive kind of like gambling yeah drive, there's never right? like 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 epic tier points yeah. or or like that kind of thing in fact even the initial currency that you can earn is uh never particularly valuable <laughs> right it's uh they stopped in, in the new one i was really concerned that they were going to make it a little bit more directed as an experience with the you know these, these points that they were introducing but it turns out those are just for the newbie experience really after not very long they're they're useless so it's it's all right. gotcha yeah so maybe animal crossing is a good example of like a grazing type of model of an rpg um but yeah, see, perhaps- it's weird to think of it in a, as an rpg because i feel like most people would say that that you have to level up or it's not an rpg mm-hmm. or or you have to have swords or something i don't know yeah 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 no I, in the terms of like the the colloquial categorization i totally agree but in terms of like if we're talking about like rpg ism like this kind of design pattern um i think maybe it could be you know like a game could be like animal crossing that could be a good example like something to look yeah, at for yeah, like how we yeah. could we make our grazing rpg or whatever yeah. um so so then the other the other thing that i'm really interested in with rpgs 
that we haven't really talked about much yet is the like sort of toy value of RPGs. And you talked a little bit about this when we were talking about exploration, uh, because there's, of course, the, you know, what most people think of as exploration, which is uh, I can go over here and see what's over in this forest, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also exploration, um, particularly in older RPGs, um, at, you know, like older PC RPGs, like Ultima 7 is probably like the peak of this type of thing where, you know, like what happens if I blankety blank, you know, with a blankety mm-hmm, blank, like mm-hmm. combining, uh, you know, things in the world together. How does this NPC behave? How does, how does this happen? You know, like how do, what if I don't complete this quest, but like leave this town and then come back and yeah, then yeah, yeah, yeah. like experimentation. Yeah. Systemic experimentation and mm-hmm. also emergent emergent interactions between like the game rules and so like that that to me is something that has been very important in um rpgs is like the idea of like a lot of emergent complexity and the world sort of like like uh something i was talking about in that twitter thread was the idea of making instead of items you have objects so like you know uh i don't know a hammer in most of these RPGs, if there's a hammer, it's just like a spreadsheet item that has like a cell value. And it's yeah, not, yeah. you know, what I mean? it doesn't, it, it doesn't have properties. And that's what I mean, like having dynamic properties, like that's something that really, I feel like there isn't as much of uh, these days. Probably Elder Scrolls is like a, one of the better examples of mm-hmm. having that still. Um, but I don't know. How do you feel about that? Is that important? Do, should we like, uh, is is that something that you feel like is is like becoming less of a thing as games become more like wowified? I would say. I mean, I think part of it is the wowified effect. I mean, you end up with the uh, and, but I think honestly, it's just the power of of dopamines and knowing that it's so cost effective to just mm. copy paste on a spreadsheet and, and change a number. Yeah, and and people will feel good about it. Like that's the you know I haven't played destiny but um from people i know who've played like that that is it is sort of the the wow effect of uh just wanting to you know an excuse to to hang out with your friends and see numbers go up and that's fine um but i do think that that means there is an empty space waiting to be filled you know by some indie whereas it's not perfectly efficient to make a game where objects are meaningful and and actually have you know, mechanical differences from each other that are fascinating to play with. Um, but that's okay. Indies don't have to be ridiculously efficient. We don't have international shareholders breathing down our necks to make sure that our profit margins are up literally every year. Um, and furthermore, I do think that one of the benefits of games going so mainstream over the past, you know, 20 years, 30 years, Um, is that we're seeing more and more savvy consumers. I think that game players, you know, maybe 30 years ago, they weren't ready for for Ultima Online (laughs) 2.0. But I I wonder if now maybe they are because we have, you know, literally millions and millions and millions of people who have seen the numbers going up and maybe Mm. some proportion of them are ready to to get a little bit deeper into experimenting and trying things out, but but maybe they never needed to be trained in it. I mean, Ultima Online was was full of uh, preteens, from what I remember as well. They didn't need special handbooks or anything like that. But I just feel like you know it it wasn't as accessible or mainstream as maybe now it could be. Maybe maybe now um, you know if 
is something like Among Us can meet millions and millions of people and it's relatively complex compared mm -hmm. to say Super Mario Brothers. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know, I, I'd love to think about what what as designers could we do to make ever more simulated worlds? I remember one of uh, Tarn Adams from Dwarf Fortress, one of his most hated things about people talking to him about Dwarf Fortress is calling it quote unquote, living, breathing worlds. Cause that was a thing in, in the late nineties, especially that everybody tried to call their, their game a living, breathing world. Um, you know, what exactly does that mean? You're, you're trying to evoke the idea that that all the elements they will combine in, in a way that the designer couldn't intend, and you know they, they're basically trying to make something like Dwarf Fortress, um, and it's very exciting to me that Dwarf Fortress is getting graphics, uh, so more people can enjoy that. Speaking of making things more accessible, um, yeah. But for me as a designer, when I'm thinking of making a world, it's definitely the case that the more I pull back and and from in making something interactive and the more that something becomes like just a background or just a bucket for, for stats, uh, the less interested I am as a designer and as a player. Um, like the, the hats and boyfriend dungeon, we went through and added mechanical differences to each one. And it felt so good to, mm. to like genuinely make interesting items. Um, even though the, the armors are just for looks, they're just a, a way for players to express themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, having at least a little bit of that uh, mechanical interest where it was definitely much more satisfying. Yeah, I, um, I, I definitely want to talk about Boyfriend Dungeon at the end of this, because <laughs> you've been working on that for uh, like years at this point, right? It's been a little while, yeah. That's great though. I mean, to, I'm <laughs> all about the like 10 year project. Like I feel like, I feel like the quantity of games we have in the world is doing just fine. And like what we need really is like, is people to like, like, I just think that like, it's, you know, making really special great games takes a long time, especially I feel like for indies. So, uh, you know, I, I'm always really applauding it when a game takes a long time. To me, I feel like that's a show of a lot of really positive things um, and makes me excited to hear about it. Another thing yeah. related- Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I wouldn't like to spend four or five years on a game. It's just sort of how it's happened. <laughs> Yeah, but it's that I'm saying like it's happened that way probably because like you really care, you know, like I bet there was probably two or three decisions down the line that you could have got this done sooner if you really, really wanted to, but you cared <laughs> more about something else, which is great. Could have gotten something done anyway. <laughs> so uh, that reminds me of another thing uh, in terms of like taking very long to do things. Um, you know, something that to me is a good sign one thing that's a good sign for me it, with almost any kind of game is like, oh, it took a really long time to make. Another one though, is when it comes out, it's really buggy because <laughs> uh, like, when, especially with RPGs, um, I feel like almost all of my favorite RPGs over the years have been very buggy. And I think a big reason for that is because of that, like, you know, uh, uh, the pro the things have properties. And so like these properties just start going haywire and like no one is able to predict all these weird second order effects that are gonna happen because objects have properties. And that's probably the biggest reason, one of the biggest reasons, like you said, like it's so easy to just have a spreadsheet and just, you know, change the numbers and it, it works. Uh, whereas uh, like these weird uh, systemic RPGs, I don't know if you played like the old like Black Isle games or Troika games, or um, anything like that, have you? I don't think so, no, or it's been a long time, if so. 
Uh, one of my favorites I recommend to a lot of people is Arcanum of Steamworks oh, and Magic yes. Obscura. I did play a bit of Arcanum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, it, yeah. that's a pretty it's good a example. Time, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I love those kinds of games. I miss those those sorts of um, systems. Um, but yeah, 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 those all, when they come out, they're just so buggy because they have so many interactions, things that could happen. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. I don't know where I, mean, I was going with that. I mean, hopefully, as a designer, I, I always wish that um, we have enough time staked out to hopefully do enough testing that it's not buggy for most people. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, when there is a particularly uh, spectacular systemic combination of things that explodes, that's very, it's half gratifying, half terrifying. <laughs> I liked what you said about how, you know, gamers have seen numbers going up and that perhaps a lot of them are starting to like, you know, sort of maybe doubt that. I mean, I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if we see that in the numbers necessarily, because like, <laughs> I feel like gotchas are so, so huge. But maybe um, they can have room for both. You know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe if they're getting enough of the, the dopamine from numbers going up, then maybe they can start pursuing other kinds of chemicals, uh, brain chemicals, and get curious uh, and have room in their diet for, for more experimentation. Let's hope. <laughs> yeah, that's something that's interesting to me. Like, so my experience with that, and the reason I'm so, like, you sort of took me to task, and I appreciate it, for the feedback thing and how that's <laughs> that's pretty derisive, and it definitely is. But, like, I have, I, I'm like, I have, like, anger about these kinds of systems <laughs> because I remember, so my story with it is the first time, uh, well, original Diablo came out and I was super pumped about it. I played it like crazy. And then Diablo two came out and I played that like crazy for, I don't know, a few months or something. And at some point I was just like clicking and clicking and clicking and clicking. And I was like, wait, what am I doing? You know, like I, I it's yeah, sort of like, like, where is my life going? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I felt so betrayed actually. Mm. And because I, I didn't see Diablo as that, as that, like, you know, I didn't see it as this like gambling loot machine. I thought it was like yeah. an RPG roguelike strategy sort of thing. And yeah. it's, it's not so much. And so I felt betrayed and I, I wonder like, is that just a weird thing about me? Do you, does that, do you relate to that at all? Have no, you ever had that I mean, experience? I definitely, I, as soon as you made your post, I had to tell my partner about it because he feels the same way. Um, you know, he's like, if I ever have to play another looter shooter, I'm going to puke. <laughs> nice. Um, the fact that there is such a genre as looter shooter is, uh, I guess, conveys a little bit of, uh, of what the intent is for that genre. But um, no, I do think that there is such a thing as, you know, burning out on a genuine addiction. Um, sure. Like I was playing uh, yeah, clicker games for a while. Adventure Capitalist, for example, is a, is a, a very well-made little clicker game. And at some point, I think most people will say, what, what, what am I doing? Do I not have anything better to do with my time than click this button? Um, mm -hmm. And I think the tricky thing is to hope that those people, you know, let, let's say, you know, Destiny 2 has millions and millions of people. Um, they look around and they're like, well, at least it was worth spending time with my friends. Maybe I mm -hmm. should go do something else with my friends, or maybe there's something else more interesting I can do with my friends. Um, what I really hope doesn't happen is that people look around and think, oh, uh, I guess I just shouldn't play games anymore because they're a waste mm. of my time. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, which, you know, they sort of are. I mean, they're an entertainment and, and most of most games that exist are commercial entertainment, furthermore. Um, but hopefully well, they're also there's... all art, though. They're also all uh, products of human creativity and they, you know, there's... I'm they're... sure you can say that about lots of things that people do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I guess I just wonder... I wonder how many of those people will, you know, be hungry for other kinds of game experiences. I, I wonder if the, I hope the pandemic's effect is getting more people comfortable with playing online that maybe used to think that it was something, you know, they were just, you know, because I used to have friends that were, oh, I'm not a very technical person, so mm-hmm. I don't play online games. And and hopefully the pandemic has helped a lot of people realize that that it's not that hard. And yeah. And furthermore, the software has actually advanced to make it easier. So that's great. Yeah, there's a lot more uh, D&D online these days. I, I yeah, feel like. it's fantastic. Yeah, no, that is that is really cool. Um, I, I do hope that um, that 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 really the thing that I think can insulate because the, the, these kinds of like gambling kind of games are not going away. And so I think that really the way forward is increased literacy among players and designers as well and and because you know i do believe that like if someone knows what the thing is and they're like yeah i want like a addictive a thing that's going to induce a state of addiction in me uh if they know (laughs) that then there's i think that's fine um but uh like i think that the problem is you know that that as you said it can sort of it can turn people off a lot and can turn them off completely from video games. And it can sort of reinforce this narrative that video games are just inherently bad or, you know, inherently mm-hmm, worthless, mm-hmm. which I really don't think is the case. And I mean, your games are some of the best examples, I think, of, you know, video games as um, as meaningful, you know, as uh, yeah. and yeah. And so um, let's talk about one of your of your video games that you've been uh, working <laughs> on for a long time. When did you start on Boyfriend Dungeon? We started on Boyfriend Dungeon in 2016. Um, we no, sorry, 2017. Oof, oof, that was all, that was <laughs> dangerous. Okay. Um, no, in 2017, uh, we had been porting Moon Hunters over um, to all the different platforms, and meanwhile, we had been working on a a secret project that uh, for a big company that got canceled, um, and we were sort of spinning our wheels, and. As soon as as uh, the team was like, so what are we going to work on? Uh, I remembered a joke I had made to them the year before. Uh, I was like, well, well, what if what if we did boyfriend dungeon? And we we thought about it, and uh, the more we thought about it, the more we we thought, well, yeah, that'd be a great little game to make. Um, the the operative word being little, we thought it was going to be a little game. Mm. Um, but then the more we started talking about it in public and the more we started promoting it, the more people connected with it. And, and really, it seemed to resonate with a lot of people. So we ended up doubling down and doubling down and doubling down in trying to make it the best possible game. Uh, it could be within our, you know, we're, we're still a very small team. There's only four people working on it mm. um, for these years. Um, but I do think that we're, we're towards the end now. We have seven lovely weapons that turn into lovely people and and a cat um one of them is a cat nice. uh, and it's it's so close keith it's it's we're in that there's this the saying you know that the, the there's 80, the first 20. 80 percent and then yep. there's the next 80 <laughs> percent yep uh yeah that's that's where we are right now we're, we're just uh trudging through but I feel like we can see the the light at the end of the tunnel. We just have a couple more little things to do, and then we're 
and we've already started having beta testers. Um, but it's definitely hit home for me that like even Boyfriend Engine isn't system driven enough to really, really fascinate me as a designer. Like I love my characters and I love wielding them in the dungeon and I love working on making sure that combat and those attacks are really good and that the storytelling's good and all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, I feel like any game where you're supposed to be charmed by, like genuinely charmed by a non-player character, Mm-hmm. You either need an amazing amount of money and 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 risk profile. So maybe if I go become a professor at a university or something, I can take this kind of creative risk. I can make like a machine learning flirt machine or something. <laughs> um, but otherwise, you're going to make it you know consumable. It's just going to it's going to be content that's consumed. And and as fun as that is, I'd much rather be making some a world that is system driven um, or multiplayer. I think that without players running around or without um, surprisingly combinatorial mechanics. Mm. Um, you know, people play it once and, and no matter how amazing their their experience is, you know, that's not going to be a world that will have not, not just infinite, but like unexpected fruits. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this idea that I have of like games that you live in or like games mm. that are like like lifestyle like they're they're it's kind of like how people are like, "Oh, I'm a tennis player." Or, "Oh, I play the guitar." Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Oh, I'm a League of Legends player or I'm a Go player." <laughs> These are the games that sort of become a part of your, you know, like who you are on some level at least for a number of years. And Yeah, and I, and I don't expect to to invent tennis, like don't get me wrong. I'm I'm also not going to invent Dwarf Fortress for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but something in between where you can make something that is genuinely deeply systemic such that, you know, the player is a co-author in that world. And I think that that, that I miss that from MMOs for sure. Yeah. So is that kind of a clue about what, have you started thinking about what you might want to work on next? Uh, Yeah. I mean, uh, I've started for sure. I can't say that we have made any decisions, but um, like my studio put out uh, Lucifer within us last uh, fall. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't the designer. I was I was a assistant, um, you know, producer, um, executive producer of sorts. Um, but that team and I, we've been uh, discussing next projects and noodling around on stuff um, for a few months, uh, on and off. And I'll say I'm fascinated both by food mm-hmm. uh, mechanic. I'm very fascinated by by food in games. I just love uh, virtual food. I've I've been enjoying food in, in games for years and years and years. Um, but I'm also really interested in like cities and how cities work. And so food city, in other words, that's what the name well, of the game is. Well, no, I think they're two different game concepts, <laughs> oh, okay. and I don't know which one we'll be going forward with. I mean, this is a, an exclusive here. Nobody else on the planet has heard wow. about this besides Kid Foxes. But um, I, I'm just telling you what I'm mostly obsessed with these days. Sure, um, sure. Because when when my team is like, what kinds of things should we work on? Um, those are definitely two topics that I think have so much richness and depth and potential that hasn't mm. been explored. Um, that I'm, yeah, I'm fascinated by, by the act of cooking. Cause like some cooking is more just like you're prepping something for a particular person, but sometimes cooking is really like alchemy that you're really transforming inedible things into, you know, deeply nutritious things. And mm. And then there's presentation, there's expression, there's social. I don't know. I'm really into cooking these days. Yeah, no, I think Especially cooking. Especially virtually. 
cooking has a lot of things that could be used for, you know, like systemic interaction kind of stuff. Mm. I think it's sort of abstract enough and there's enough like rules in terms of, you know, like I guess numeric rules in terms of like temperatures and, you know, time lengths and, mm -hmm. and things like that, uh, that can, that I could definitely see potential there. And also like, I'm also, um, this is something that uh, if we had you on longer for, I'd love to talk about more, but like something else I've been thinking about over the past years is, you know, how to, either how to do violence in a game responsibly or how to make things like strategy games, which is kind of my, my world, um, in, like strategy games that aren't about war, you know, like, uh, how yeah. do we, how yeah. do we do that? And if we, if we do make it about war, how do we, how do we like sort of frame that in a way that's like responsible? Um, so I've been thinking a lot about that and that's why something like cooking to me is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that food also just has like ancient human appeal. Mm -hmm. Um, like, you know, we've been eating for as long as we've been alive. Sure. Um, but it's, it's hard because it is deeply cultural. And of course the ultimate artifact, the, the food is not edible from a game typically. Um, mm -hmm. and I don't know, I'm, I'm just, I'm interested in, in where it could go. We'll see. We'll see. Um, it's possible, you know, six months later, you'll ask me about that. And I'll be like, ha ha. I was obsessed for a week and, and nothing came of it, but, yeah. um, but I do think there's potential there. I think part of the, the struggle right now is, you know, as a, as a company owner, I have to figure out, uh, how much of a risk can we take on something that we don't know what the market is. If, if on steam, you know, there's exactly two profitable cooking games, what does that mean? <laughs> right. Um, and neither of them seem to be about cooking in the way that I would desire them uh so does that mean there's an unfilled niche does that mean i should make it a mobile game because that's where people who love cooking seem to go but then all of the mobile cooking games seem to be gotchas <laughs> you you've, uh, you've written a bunch about marketing so i have to say uh oh like ask you a couple of questions about that real quick like because sometimes i feel like as you're talking fire. through that what's that <laughs> I said rapid fire yeah rapid fire uh <laughs> as you're talking about that i, I was thinking of um you know, like a lot of times I feel like um, we cannot know what the market's going to want because each individual person doesn't really even know what they want. Like they know what they've wanted in the past. Yeah, yeah, they know true. what they've liked, but they don't know what they're going to like in two weeks or when they yeah, find yeah. some new weird Steam game. And so that's on the one hand really scary because you don't have any solid way of like making decisions about risk and reward but at the same time it's maybe kind of liberating because just make whatever you think would be cool uh, you know like <laughs> right or is that wrong well there's something in between for sure like okay. i i do think that steve i think it's steve jobs who is famous for saying that customers never know what they want until you give it to them and then they they know they want it um and i do think there's some truth to that but i think if you just completely ignore the market and make whatever you think is cool. Um, I mean, if, I mean, feel free, but for me, since I am, you know, responsible for, for eight people's payroll and, and quality of life, uh, I feel like the responsible business owner thing is to at least know how risky it is. So for Boyfriend Engine is a great example of a game that I have wanted since forever. I mean, I remember when I went to grad school in 2006 thinking, oh, well, it's too bad that by the time I graduate grad school, some someone will probably, or the, by, by the time I'm a lead designer, someone will have made um, a game where I can play an RPG and 
and date boys. Like it, it'll be obvious. It was obvious to me at the time. It was like sure. obviously someone will have made it and will have sold millions of copies. Um, here we are, <laughs> uh, 15 years later, and nobody's made it apparently. Um, I mean, the closest I would say would be something like uh, I don't know, Bioware games or something like that, mm-hmm. um, which you do get to wield swords and, and date boys. Um, but oddly enough, they're still they're not making any more of those. Um, mm. And and yet, when I went on Steam to try to do my you know market research. The thing that I didn't want to find was a bunch of similar failures. I didn't want to go mm. on Steam because you often don't hear about failed games. Failed games almost don't exist yeah. um, because nobody talks about them typically. Mm-hmm. Um, so often when you go on Steam, you know, your number one thing that I'm hunting for is, is there something similar to this that has sold like zero copies? And the good news was that there there wasn't any of that. But the bad news was there was nothing that had succeeded like it either. Like mm. it was a huge empty hole in 2017. Um, now, a couple of months later, uh, Dream Daddy came out, which had some similarities. I mean, it was more targeted explicitly for, for gay men, and it was uh, only a visual novel. It didn't really have the, the combat dungeon side to it, but it was still <laughs> the closest thing um, at that point. Uh, everything else on Steam in 2017 that had anything like RPG dating simulation stuff um, was either absolutely objectifying sure. bizarre looking anime women <laughs> um or it didn't then that was it there was, there was nothing else um, yeah. or there you know i think there were a couple of anime um ones that were a little bit for women um right. or, or a lot for both uh but but yeah um anyway the short answer to your question is i think people should absolutely look and try to do market research to figure out what else like their game has failed at the very least and that doesn't mean they shouldn't make it. They should just know like, oh, we're taking this kind of risk. Our game, we don't know who exactly our market is on Steam. But the more that you can work on that, and that's part of why we announced Boyfriend Dungeon so early. I think if we had known that people would love Boyfriend Dungeon, maybe we would have waited to announce it for a few years. Mm-hmm. But I was deeply afraid that nobody would care. I was mm. deeply afraid that we would work on it for years, we would announce it, and then everyone would shrug and and wander away. So I mean, you um, did a Kickstarter for that, right? And that that was like was did. that the that was the moment where you realized there was a lot of demand for this? Well, no, it went vi- our announcement went viral. I think in I, in I think it was 2017, the fall of 2017. We were like, let's just double check that people want this. That went viral, great. The next year in 2018, we did our Kickstarter, and it also did really well. We were like. And that was like real confirmation that, okay, if we make it good, they will come. Hmm. Um, that, that's what it felt like to me that the Kickstarter succeeding meant. Sure. Um, and, that, and that's a good feeling. The feeling that if it's good, they will come. Uh, now, you know, I, I look forward to, li- to listening in on this later in the future after we've released Boyfriend Engine to see how right or wrong that was. Uh, maybe we should have just made the minimum viable version a few years ago and put that out. But I'm positive that whatever we put out, we'll be really proud of. And, and that has to be enough. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, that is one, that's, I think that's the most important thing. Like that you feel like you've spent these years of, you know, work, your labor, uh, putting it into something that you love and that you feel proud of. Like that's really worth a lot of, uh, that's worth a lot, I think. Yes. Yes. I, I think that it will be proud of it no matter what happens with the sales. Um, it's just a matter now of 
making sure we get to the end. So, okay, let's wrap it up. What, what, uh, what, what, where can people go to find your games and to find Boyfriend Dungeon and to wishlist subscribe and all that kind of cool stuff? I recommend going to kitfoxgames.com. You'll see that there's actually like 10 different games that Kitfox can offer you, some of which have released, some of which are, are ready to be wishlisted. Um, if you go on Steam, almost all of our games are on there. You can also look for Kitfox Games there. Our publisher has everything. But um, yeah, Boyfriend Dungeon, Dwarf Fortress. We also have a museum simulator coming up, Mondo Museum, and a dog photography game called Paparazzi. Um, yeah, so we welcome your wishes. Or you can join on the Discord. Our Discord is very active, and I hang out in there. So if you're listening and you want to say hi, then uh, I'd love to see you. Hi. <laughs> uh, is there a release date yet for Boyfriend Dungeon? No. Okay. All right. Well, we'll stay tuned. Thank you so we'll much. We'll announce one as soon as we can. Awesome. I'm really pumped. Thank you so much, Tanya, for coming Thank on the you. show.